Well, I give you a warm welcome to Westmount. Those especially that are visiting, we welcome you. We're, we're glad you're here. I know you've been warmly greeted already and invite you, along with all, to take your Bible and open it to the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus, chapter 17, chapter 17. If you are visiting or if you don't have a copy of God's Word, just look in the chair in front of you. You'll see one there. Please, by all means, take it and follow along with us. Second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 17. This morning, we return to our study in this book, in the second book of the Bible, of the Pentateuch, Exodus, and and this up-close look at the early history of the nation of Israel. This book has given us a robust theology. That would be a rich look and study of who God is. That's what Exodus has contained. From his preeminent name revealed in Exodus 3, the great I am, to his all-powerful, that would be omnipotence, revealed over Egypt right through to his loving mercy, his all-provision for Israel, everything that they need. We've seen all these attributes in this robust theology of God. This book, Exodus, has also given us a robust anthropology. That would be anthropology. We mean a study of man, a study of mankind. It's been here too. From the fickleness of humanity that yo-yos between crying out to complaining to the chronic disposition. Does this not plague us? The chronic disposition of fear and lack of trust. Even after immediately crossing the Red Sea and all power of God. That is who God is, and that is who we are. That's what we've been learning in Exodus. As we return to this book this morning, we will see both of these again. And these two doctrines of God and of man will intersect at a juncture that is one of the most common struggles for many of us, and it is this. It is help. Help. For many, dare I say most, we don't like the word help. Or certainly the offer of it. We bristle against the one that says, do you need help? We say, help is not what I need, it's what others need. And in fact, let me tell you about the help they need. We say, help is for those not in control. And by the way, I'm in full control. Just look and see. Are you one that considers help as an admission of failure? Do you equate help with weakness? Do you think help is only for people that seem to be in tough times, in trouble, or in need? Sure, we don't walk around talking like that. No, no. But we do often walk around acting like that. And that reality reveals another dimension of our anthropology. And here it is, Anthropology 101. To be a human being is to be in need of help. To be a human being is to be in need of help. To be a man, to be a woman, to be a child, to be an adult is to be in need. Beloved, we are, and let's settle here, we are dependent beings. Contrary to many strong-willed folks, none of us are independent. Not a single one, but oh yes, many want to believe that. Yet, 
none of us are independent. And you know, the fact that many believe they are independent, yet they are not, reveals our problem. And it's this. We have a faulty view of ourselves. Because, and here it is, we grow up, we learn lots, we do much, we get jobs, we're good at them, we earn, we achieve, we build, we establish, we find, we fix, and we flourish. And all the while thinking, often to ourselves, we don't often orate this out loud, I'm doing just fine. I'm doing just fine. But then, as is always the case, something happens to expose that, to rip that facade to shreds. Something invariably happens that demonstrates your dependence. Suddenly, you need a new job. Suddenly, you need a CT scan. Suddenly, you just need a moment because you don't know where the tears are coming from. Suddenly, you just can't keep yourself together. And maybe today... Maybe you're looking, maybe you're here, maybe this is you, and you realize today that you're not just fine. Maybe today, today might be the first day that you come to terms with the fact that you are not independent at all. Maybe this morning, maybe, whether you admit it to anyone, maybe in the quietness, in the privateness of your own soul, you realize very clearly that you need help. If that is you, which in reality is all of us, then let that anthropology lesson meet the theology lesson here in this text in front of us. Now, I should mention at the outset, this theme runs to the end of chapter 18. This is a full section, and let's say a theology of help. However, this morning we'll only be able to cover the first part, as you see there, Exodus 17, 8 to 16. And let's begin by reading this portion in full. Look down with me at verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. You look at those verses there, they present to us Three realities about help. Three realities about help that we need to hear today. Because today, we don't just have a faulty view of mankind, right? Today, what we have is a faulty view is what what is needed truly to help mankind. Do you see the problem? We have a faulty view of the help that we need. 
Today we swim in an endless sea of offerings of help, self-help, medical help, government help, on and on it goes. But I ask you this morning, is any of that help really helping? It is clear the help proclaimed is not very helpful, and so and thus we need this text from the living God in his living word. It will demonstrate that our concept of help has been completely off base. I would submit to you we all will receive a course correction in this text this morning. Church, let us biblically, biblically understand what help means while we need it most. And here is our first aspect of help. Help is needed. Help is needed. Look at verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So simply stated, is it not? When we left off with Israel, they were at Rephidim. Remember, Rephidim is heading south in the Sinai Peninsula. They're on their way to Mount Sinai. And remember, that's by God's providence and direction to head them south. Interesting. And there at Rephidim, they camped as verse 1. Look at verse 1 in chapter 17. tells us so, that they encamped there. And while they're encamped at Rephidim, lo and behold, they receive visitors. The beginning of verse 8 says this, Then Amalek came. The people of Amalek, or Amalek's descendants, the Amalekites, were from the line of Esau. Amalek was actually Esau's grandson by a concubine. So they're from Esau. In fact, in Deuteronomy 25, 17 to 18, you can just note this, we get a little synopsis of what has transpired here, this sneak attack. Let me read it to you as Moses recaps for the next generation and reminds them of this attack. This is Deuteronomy 25, 17 to 18. Moses says, remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt. So he's pointing to this direct account. How he, the Amalekites, attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail. Those who were lagging behind you, and he did not, that would be Amalek, did not fear God. You see that? That's the kind of warfare the Amalekites brought to Israel here. Now, that's the history of it. But it also demonstrates the reality of help. Now, track with me here. Listen, these are not just any people, right? Who are these people, the Israelites? They're God's people. Do you see this? These are God's freshly delivered chosen people, by the way, now being attacked under the sovereign hand of God. Do you see that? Yes, even for these, mark it, God's own, God's chosen, God's rescued. Now here, note it, help is needed. And before we hastily move on from this verse, let us ensure we see and heed the lesson here. Westmount, here it is. The ones that need help here are God's chosen people. His own. His own. In fact, we would say the ones in need of help here are the God-associated ones. Do you see this? If help is needed, and note this, after deliverance for God's people, then what of now? This is important for many of us professed Christians. Why? Why is this important? Because while we have a right view of salvation, the Protestant does these days, do they not know quibbles with salvation? Yes, God alone. Yes, we need God to save. And we're very good 
at that piece of theology. We've got that really well. However, somewhere along the way, we have a right view of salvation, but a wrong view of sanctification. After salvation, we say things like, thanks God, that's great, I've got it from here. Again, we wouldn't say it quite like that, but more than being surprised when help is needed, we're just not ready. As if, and we functionally live this out, as if just being God's people makes you immune to problems, and here it is today, makes you immune to attacks. Yes, there is a rampant false theology that teaches that and has infected many. But here we see that fresh off deliverance, I want you to see this in the text, fresh off deliverance for God's people, God's people, the attack comes really and truly, and a deadly attack, a sneak attack. By the way, this is not some strange occurrence in this corner of Exodus. This is Israel's history. We're going to come back to Amalek later. I might submit to you, as you go to the New Testament, this is the church's history. This is what it means to be the people of God. And beloved, if help is needed here for God's people, let me ask you something this morning. How much more for you today? How much more? One more, by the way. Notice the visit of Amalek here. They don't just come. Look at the text. But what? Verse 8. They came and what? Fought with Israel. This is not a pesky annoyance. This is not a growing pain. No, this is an attack. This is a trial. This is difficulty. Brothers and sisters, this is what happens when you're God's and you walk with him. Can you see this? This is what happens. When you are God's and you walk with him, this is what happens. I'm reminded of the warning that Christ gave his apostles on the night he was betrayed. In John 15, you can imagine the reception of this, right? John 15, 18, Jesus said to those who would go out into the world, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. What's the implication? You're not of the world. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, here it is, they will also persecute you. We have these texts, we know them, sometimes they're memorized, but something happens when we need to apply them, especially to today. All of a sudden, we get amnesia with important texts and teachings from Christ. Now, why is this important to see and understand? Because Christian, again, you are chosen, you are called, regenerated and saved, and that means eternal security awaits. Praise God, right? It means eternal security awaits, but it also means something else. Temporal suffering awaits. That makes us uncomfortable. Temporal suffering awaits. It means, beloved, Amalek is going to come upon you. That's what this means. It cannot be any clearer. Living after salvation, living in light of that security, is a life that involves trial. And church, if we don't get this, we will be miserable, frustrated, and eventually exposed. And worse, like today, we will resist, capital R, 
We will resist testing, we'll resist trial, we'll resist suffering for the sake of comfort. If we don't see the living word and the living examples of God's people from all time, what are we going to do? We're going to resist for the sake of comfort and compliance. Westmount, listen, we've walked this through. God tests us. Remember just a few weeks ago, he allows the food to run out, chapter 15. He allows us to experience the consequence of our wrong choices, chapter 16. And in chapter 17, he allows Amalek to sneak attack his people. Why? Because God is sovereign. And he knows what we need. And this is best. And God allows that. Yes, our loving Father, mark it, loving Father allows that for our good. And here it is, so that we recognize the true good. He allows that so that we recognize the true good, which is Him. He allows the need so that we see who we need every day. Do you see that? He allows the needs to come in so that we see the one that we need every day. So that we learn that we need God, not just for a moment of salvation. We need to be done with that. This is not just a moment. It's not just a card. This is not just an act that saves us eternally and then we're on our own. No, we need him for a lifetime of moments. We need him for salvation and sanctification. Thus, God allows the need, the attack, so that we would see our need. And in our need, that we would abandon our foolish notions of independence. Can we be rid of those? And recognize in that abandonment that we need him. Always, every day, every moment, we need him. Beloved, help is needed. And church again, I press this. If true for Israel here in this text after their deliverance, how much more true for us today? How much more true? Are we any more sanctified than they are? Do we have this stuff figured out anymore? No, of course not. In fact, quite the opposite. Okay, that's one aspect of help. Let's consider the next one here. Help delivered. Looked at help is needed. Now help delivered. Look at verse 9. As you look at verse 9, look at verse 8 and 9 together. What you cannot miss as you look at those two verses is the fact that there's no gap that exists between verse 8 and 9. There's no gap there. In fact, what is there is a big so. Most translations have a so. In other words, this just happens, so this immediately. Help is needed, verse 8. Help is delivered, verse 9. And look at verse 9. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. The first help we see delivered here is in the form of a young military leader, considerably younger than Moses, Joshua. This is the first mention in Exodus and in the Bible, in fact, of Joshua. Moses' assistant, as Joshua would be called later in Exodus, chapter 24. Here we get our first glimpse of the military prowess of this young man that will be called on later in the conquest when they enter the promised land. You get your first glimpse of him right here. And of course, this is not Moses versus the Amalekites or Joshua versus the Amalekites as much as we're being introduced to him, Moses says what? Look at this, right away. Joshua introduced then what? Right away, verse 9. Choose for us men and go out and fight. Don't miss that, Westmount. At the risk of stating the obvious, Joshua does not fight alone. Do you see that? 
He doesn't say, Joshua, you got a really big sword, go and do the thing. Right? What does he say? Choose men. Choose help. Choose men. Men that form another piece of help delivered here. Yet, the help doesn't end there. Don't miss this. Look at verse 10. It doesn't end there. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So the first wave of help, Joshua and the men, get the picture, head to the valley to fight, while two others, Aaron and Hur, head to the hill with Moses. Do you see that? Aaron, the brother of Moses, and his vocal help, we're already well familiar with in Exodus, right? Hur, as we'll see later, also in chapter 24, becomes one of Israel's chief elders. So this is a significant help here in Moses' brother and a chief elder. Now see this. Although these three men, Moses, a leading priest and a leading elder, although they aren't headed to the valley for physical battle, note this, although they're not in the battle, right, in the valley physically, they are still at war, right? They're still at war. Look at verse 11. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Aaron and Hur help Moses by keeping his outstretched arms steady. That's what it says in verse 12. And that help was vital because look at verse 11. What do outstretched arms equate to? Victory. Victory in this text. What a picture. Moses' arms up, Israel prevails. His arms are grow weary and go down and Amalek prevails. That's the picture. The end of verse 12 tells us this battle lasted, look at it, look at the time, until the going down of the sun. Wow. In other words, Moses would need arms outstretched, mark this, all day. All day. Consider the energy required for that. No human being can do that, right? You can't do that. Physically, you can't. We're limited. And that is why Moses needs help. In fact, Moses, that man of God, needed help from two other men, Aaron and Hur, bearing the weight with him. And as a result, look at verse 13. After all this help, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Westmount, that is victory directly because of help delivered. Do you see that? Now again, church, we must resist the temptation to move along quickly. This is what happens in our Bible reading, right? We say, oh yeah, okay, I get it. He's got help. Check. God's in this somewhere. Check. Okay, and then I move on. We need to pause. We need to step back and consider the various layers of help here. First, there's Joshua. Not just another body or another man, but a young military man. You talk about providence. The help delivered here is precisely what is needed, when is needed. You see that? Secondly, they're the chosen men. And here it is, the numbers, the mass of help, the strength in numbers. A group added for help. The help delivered here is delivered, and I want you to see this, through flesh and blood. There's not some heavenly angel that comes down or something instantly that happens. Do you see the help here? Delivered through flesh and bones. You see that? Three, there's Aaron and her. 
leading men sharing the load with Moses, even in leadership. Moses is prominent, right, in the Old Testament. But even in leadership, Moses is not by himself. He's not like Moses, the CEO, standing by himself, bearing all the weight. We're really going to see this next week. Hands with swords, hands outstretched, hands holding up other hands. Beloved, those are a lot of helping hands here. And they're needed here. But there's one more hand I trust that we did not miss here. Look at the end of verse 9. The staff of God in Moses' hand. This is the hand where it doesn't matter how much other help you have. If you don't have this help, you have no help. Right? Simply the helping hand of God himself. It wasn't the fact that Moses' hands were extended as inspiring as that would be, right? You can imagine many, oh, look at that Moses, right? Just standing there for his people. That would be inspiring. Sure, Moses, for a time, would rally the soldiers. Look at our leader. He's standing, he's tired, but he's still doing that. But what, something happens with inspirational rallies when it's not founded on truth, when it doesn't have God underpinning it. What happens? They die out. They die out. No, the help that won this day was that in Moses' hand was what? The staff of God. God. The instrument that demonstrated God's omnipotence. Remember, as we've seen, his all power over all things. He turned that staff, remember, to a snake and then turned it back. He touched the water and it turned from water to blood. That was in Egypt. What about in the wilderness? He touched the rock. Moses had him touch the rock. And what? With that staff, water came out. Demonstrating that staff, a symbol in our Exodus account of the almighty God and his power. The staff that represented, that is it, the omnipotence, the might of the one behind it. Fact, very accurately, we could say that demonstrated the power and might of the hand. Of the one behind it. Yahweh. God Almighty. He alone is the helping hand. Behind all the other helping hands here. Listen. One greater than Moses. Greater than Joshua. Is working for Israel on the mount above. And his hands never grow weary or faint. Yes he is the only one here that needs no help. He's the only hand that needs no other helping hand. Church. God alone. Then look at the way that Yahweh works here. Again, we've alluded to this. It's not magical, not only angelic. There's no presto here. The stork doesn't just drop an instant victory, like it's mystical or something. No, the helping hand of God is manifested through the helping hands of his people. Can we see this? The helping hand of God is manifested through the helping hands of his people. The staff of God, ultimately, yes, but the staff that was lifted by whose hand? Moses. That's what God chose to reveal his power and might through, humanity. Moses, whose hand was lifted by the hands of who? Aaron and her. More flesh and blood. Whose overseeing hands were helped on the hill by what? The fighting hands of Joshua. And more bodies, more men in the valley. Westmount, that is the economy of God. That is help delivered then and it's help delivered now. Church, like this body of hands in the wilderness, we too are a body of hands. And just as God's help was manifested through the many hands then, 
so too God's help is manifested through our many hands today. The helping hands that come alongside other hands to physically lift them up. And we need to be crystal clear this morning. Let me be crystal clear on the picture of help delivered in God's word here that is always delivered through God's word, that has always been true in church history. Let's be crystal clear this morning. This is not helping words. This is not helpful memes or posts. This is not helpful slogans. This is not helpful texts. It's not helpful emails. It's not even helpful phone calls. This is help from God's people, mark this beloved, that physically goes into the valley covered with blood to fight. This is help by God's people that is literally, can I say this, not distanced, but arm linked with arm holding up other arms in person. This is help by God's people, mark this, that is active, that is close together, that is risky, that is tired, that is enduring, and it is by many bodies. Only today. Only today. Only when what is evil is called good and what is good is called evil. Only today. Only in such times. Can it be considered helpful to stay home and isolate? Only today. Isn't that amazing? That's helpful. And by the way, people would say, well, what about the law? Mm -hmm. We want a law about this? I will give you one from God's word. Galatians 6.2. This is all about law. Bear one another's burdens and so what? Fulfill the law of Christ. That's a law. Are you obeying that law? Westmount, binding together in the valley, holding each other up on the hill, that is help delivered. One more important aspect of help here. We've seen help is needed, help delivered, and now help remembered. The battle is over, right? The battle's over, verse 13. But the help is not. I want you to see this. The help is not over. It's never over this side of glory. Look at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Just as all-powerful as God is, the, the only one who needs no help, so too is God all-knowing, his omniscience. The only one who truly knows, again, remember, the help we truly need. That's God. That's God. And here God knows his people. Here it is, need help to remember that they need help. Is that not true? We need help to remember that we need help. And he offers the following emblems. This is so lovely. Look at this right in the text in just three verses. Three emblems to help our recall. Number one, the first is written. A memorial book. And by the way, beloved, you have it right there in your lap. Do you see that? You have the memorial book right there in your lap. This is how we know. This is how we're helped to remember that we need help. This is one of an infinite number of reasons, and mark that, infinite number of reasons why we must regularly be devoted to reading God's Word. 
Because reading and thus recalling is of supreme help. When we are tempted to fight Amalek on our own, and I know there's those, right, out there, in here, in here, that want to do it on their own. When we're tempted to fight Amalek on our own, we read this and remember our theology of help. The second emblem, look, is spoken. One written, second spoken. Yahweh says what? Recite this in the ears of Joshua. In other words, tell of God's help. Tell and pass it on to that next generation the things he's done. That is what we've seen in the Passover commands to future generations, chapter 12. This is the point of the book of Deuteronomy and Psalms, like Psalm 78. Tell of God's great help to the coming generations. Tell or you will forget. I was talking to a brother this week about what is going on in the church. Why is the church just so absent today? And one of the things is we were just troubleshooting and brainstorming and is this, and I know you will resonate with this. The truths of God's word, the contending for the faith, the being uncomfortable, the recognizing persecution, the knowing you'll be attacked, the fact that the Christian life is anything but comfortable has not been told to the next generation. They expect Christianity in a ball, in a packaging of comfort. And is it any surprise that no one wants to stand when it gets uncomfortable? Tell of his greatness. Tell the next generation that you will need help. No bravado, no technology, no ism or system is going to save you. Tell of the generations that you're going to need help. And that's what we see here. Third, look at the third emblem. It's visual. For all the visual learners out there, look at verse 15. Moses built an altar. We saw Noah do this, Genesis 8. What about Abraham in Genesis 12? What about Isaac in Genesis 26? Jacob, Genesis 35, on it goes. Remembrance altars, Ebenezer's, memorial stones that help God's people to remember. And here I want you to see, and often these altars are named. And this one here is in Exodus 17. Note the name of the altar, it's what? The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. That's Jehovah Nisi. Literally, the Lord is my signal pole. This is great. It's a very military picture. The military pole that was in view, the signal pole held high. And that pole was held high. It had many purposes, identifying right the battalions and the troops. And often, that banner, when things were looking grim... They would call on that young man, go get the banner. Go get it right now. And they would erect it high. And what do you think it would do to the troops? There's our signal pole. Jehovah Nisi, is he your banner today? Is that your signal pole that you're looking to? Are you being rallied by Jehovah Nisi or the next hopeful news item? Or what you think you hear or what you think you can do? Is Jehovah Nisi your rallying cry? Is the Lord your banner today? Here it is. Here it is certainly for ancient Israel and God's people. Moses, write it. Moses, speak it. Moses, build it. All to remember the help you need. And this is it. The help that Jehovah Nisi gives you. 
Moses then caps this memorial with a fitting picture of this account. Look at verse 16. A hand upon the throne or upon the banner, some translations say, of the Lord. In other words, Moses points whatever hands may be mistaken for victory. And can't you, if you put on your earthly lens here, what would you say? Well, you know they had Joshua. Or you have the pragmatists that say, well, they had many men. Someone say we had a really good leadership group. He had Aaron and her. All the earthly sensibility of what the victory is. And what does Moses say? No. The hand on the throne is the Lord's. The victory is his. In other words, Moses points to Yahweh. Yes, there's the men. Yes, there's Joshua. Yes, here's Aaron. Yes, here's her. But Moses says their hand is the Lord's. And it's the same hand of the Lord. End of verse 16. Look. That will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And as the Old Testament unfolds, lo and behold, that prophecy becomes clearer. Can we be reminded of this this morning? When God speaks what? It comes to be. That's true. We learned this morning, Jerry taught us. That's what it means that God's word is true. When God speaks, it's true and it comes to be. So too here. And God says there will be war from generation to generation, and that is precisely what we see. The Amalekites introduced here would become a major thorn for Israel. Judges 3, the Amalekites band together with the Ammonites to fight Israel. Just three chapters later in Judges 6, they rise up again against Israel, this time with the Midianites. In 1 Samuel 15, Saul comes up short. Do you remember this account? God tells him to utterly destroy the Amalekites. He comes up short and he spares King Agag as if it's a righteous deed. Later, David has to come along 15 chapters later in 1 Samuel 30 to finish the job. Yet, even then, even later, as you turn into your book of Esther, a certain Haman in the book of Esther, it would appear also from the line of Amalek. Amalek and all the against God it represents, enduring war with God's people. But God's people, by way of hands that God raises up, mark this, beloved, always prevails. Always. In fact, in this help remembered, let's close this chapter with what God promised to forget. Look at the end of verse 14. I will utterly, note that adjective there, I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. The description of how he's going to do it, or the adverb, if you will. That's how he's going to do it. He's going to utterly blot out the memory of Amalek. I will. And that's future. That means utter destruction is coming. Not just for Amalek here, but as God's word and errant word continues to tell us for all those against God. That's right, culminated at the end of time, described in Revelation 19, when Christ returns to what? Defeat. And defeat the earthly powers against him. You talk about a signal pole. When our Lord returns, victory is won. And that's why verse 14 says, God will utterly blot out the memory of them. God speaks, it comes to be. And this is sovereign God. That's total. That is final. Friends, that is forever. That is help remembered. And that utter destruction of those against God, like Amalek, is the help we need. With evil. That is where we truly need help. So misguided today, is it not? People are turning to evil to help them. 
Where we need the help is with evil. And as the nations rage against God, we need this reminder this morning of this day that is coming, that day of help. Beloved, let us not get distracted with other empty, false claims of help. And let me end with further clarity. Medicine can be helpful in the right time and right place. We're praying for our sister who is going every day to get treatments and we're thankful that she can get it, are we not? Praise God for that medicine. But friends, listen, and she will tell you if you ask her. Even that and any medicine ultimately will not and cannot help you with what truly plagues you. There is no earthly solution to what is killing you. Listen, government can be helpful. Yes, I know you might bristle at that. They can be. They're instituted by God for our good. It's true. God appointed them, but here it is. They have a mandate from God to uphold what is good. That's all I'll say about that. But listen, loved ones, they are sinners. Mark this. They are sinners and lawbreakers too. And they need your prayers and they need his help. Orders and laws can be helpful, I know. I know. Yes, they truly can be at times. There are great examples. But as is clear today, laws, mark this, are not helpful when they're unlawful. Laws are not helpful when they're unlawful. When they break God's laws. When they break God's laws, know your only help is Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is your banner. And is he your standard? That's another word for banner, by the way. Did you know that? Standard. That means, is Jehovah Nisi the standard in which you obey law? The standard in which you live? Because on that day, you will be held to that standard. And in that day, it will be revealed what you trusted for eternal security. Your own banner, your own standard, or his And the perfect righteousness of Christ laid down and imputed to those and only those that would turn and forsake their sin and embrace Jesus Christ. Will that be you? Are you looking to him? Is he your rally? You're down today. You're depressed today. You're gray today. Is Jehovah Nisi your rally today? Is he your great beacon, your only beacon of help and hope? I trust so because only by his mighty hand, like Israel discovered in this text and in that day, so too we will today. We will today. Only by the Lord's hand will this day be won. And it will be, but it's only by his hand, not ours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our signal pole. Thank you that you are our rally. Thank you, Father, that... You are that and so much more when it comes not to this life alone, but to eternal life. We thank you, Lord, for the standard we have, for the beacon of hope we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for what he provides for us today and forever. Oh God, may we walk out grateful, thankful, flowing with that joy that is true because of who you are and what you've done for us. In Christ's name we pray.